Uh, okay, listen now for the click track, everybody. Uh, and away we go. This is uh, track one. Take one, yeah. One, two, three, four. My name is Sonic Architect Adam Shanahan and this is Before the Encore. It's your monthly periodical step into the music industry. Um, I pull back the curtain a little bit just to tell you a little bit about what goes on outside and around the artists themselves. Um, so you won't hear any artist conversations here but you will hear from people who work in the music industry in the magical, wonderful, chaotic world that we have chosen to um you know, and sometimes regret placing ourselves in, but it is a wonderful, wonderful world. Um, and I'm glad to be um, speaking to as many people as I possibly can. Uh, that's the whole point of this part of the podcast um, is to just, you know, give a little bit more flowers to the people behind the scenes because, um, you know, they do an awful lot of work. And uh, as a producer who works in a studio, I do get to see it maybe a little bit more than um, someone outside of the world might be able to or might have exposure to so um this is i suppose it's for uh, education purposes as much as it is for entertainment purposes getting to speak to these people because some of the stories that they have are absolutely phenomenal um and for those of you who are new to this part of the podcast welcome to the podcast before the encore is uh like i say a monthly periodical that lands on the last monday of every month and focuses on music industry discussions with music industry professionals so uh thanks for joining us if it's your first time welcome if you're a returning listener thanks for coming back it's uh it's always great to have you here i know this is like a super super niche um a super niche part of the podcast and a super niche kind of podcast topic in general but uh, I do definitely think it's worth it's worth doing it's worth having out there and that's why I keep these episodes coming so thank you again for coming back and without further ado let's get into this month's episode Quiva Hopkinson is this month's guest and I'm so glad I got to sit down and talk to her because I have a lot of respect for what she does. She's a touring musician, multi-instrumentalist, um, incredible guitarist, plays banjo, uh, plays keys, like it does a lot of stuff. Uh, so again, as someone who, you know, can't do all of that, I have a, a lot of respect for the people that do and especially people who do it on a touring basis as well because it's um, it's it, it seems like such, it's such a kind of a tough life at times and we do get into the ins and outs of what it's like uh, as a touring musician. Quiv's been in some big tours, Alison Russell probably being the most notable at the moment, Grammy nominated artist from America. Um, so we talk all about that. Um, she's toured with Alva Reddy. She's uh, co-written songs with Kildare pop artist April, actually one of my favourite songs that April has put out called Watching You Disappear. That is one that Quiva has co-written. So that's very cool and you'll hear that in the episode as well. Quiva also gigs with Paulie and Scanlon, who you will be able to see if you have a ticket at the gig for Gaza that's happening in the Three Arena on the 28th of November um, alongside the Mary Wallopers, Lancome. Um, there's many, many more. I think Lisa O'Neill's involved there as well. Um, so, um, yeah, check that out. If you haven't got tickets, it is sold out. Um, but do keep an eye because I'm sure that some will pop up at some point. Um, you can check out a lot of those gigs that are happening as well. Um for the you know the uh, Gaza appeals and stuff like that for um 
from Irish Artists for Palestine. That's at Irish Artists for Palestine. Um, it's not all one word. It has uh, full stops between each one. You'll find that on Instagram. And there's gigs. They've they've so many gigs. Any of the gig listings that are happening in aid of the um, like Gaza appeals, Red Cross stuff like that are all being listed on that page. So do check them out. Before we get into the episode, I do just want to shout out a quick Instagram post that Quiva has on our page. It's at Quiva, K-E-C-A-O-I-M-H-E-K-I-W-I on Instagram. Um, she says, I don't normally give guitar lessons, but I'm pledging three lessons to whoever wants them. First come, first served for a donation of 45 euro per lesson to a charity of your choice or purchase eSIM cards from Holafly. That's H-O-L-A-F-L-Y, Simly, S-I-M-L-Y, Numero. N-U-M-E-R-O and send them to Gaza eSims at gmail.com we can cover whatever material you like um, and she also says at Irish Artists for Palestine have loads of events coming up so if you could please get out and support them if you can um, I cannot echo that enough we spoke about it on the show briefly about all the gigs that are happening that was just a, a, an example of what's going on at the moment so um, yeah do check it out it's a great cause they may be gone at this point but it's definitely worth worth checking out um, Quiva is an amazing musician and um, is a very very a kind person so you know I definitely think it's worth your time and it's worth your money and for her to be doing that for such a noble cause and giving up her time and money for the people less fortunate is very very admir- admirable so um, I have a lot of respect for Quiva for that as well I won't get into it too much Um I think I just kind of want you to hear the chat more so than anything else. We do speak about, like I said, we speak about touring, we speak about what it's like to co-write and and do that from the ground up and how we kind of get into the positions we get into, um, whether it be conscious choices or not. And there's also a, a very cool project that Quiva is working on that um, I think... Yeah, I think it's I think it's really, really cool and uh, I'd be excited for you to hear about it as well. Um I was certainly excited to, to chat to her about it. So that was that was great. And um, yeah, the episode was fantastic. I once again just want to shout Quiva out. She's um, she's a fantastic musician, one I respect very, very much. So um, without further ado, let's get into the episode. This is Before the Encore with Quiva Hopkinson. Thanks for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. Not at all, not at all. Thanks for coming in. Um, really appreciate it, especially on a Friday morning when you're, you know, probably on the rare occasion you're not touring or <laughs> playing or, you know, doing something. So I uh, appreciate you giving me your very, very valuable time. You are a new Park and Bim graduate, mm-hmm. which is no mean feat. No mean feat <laughs> at all. Um Multi-instrumentalist, I think it's fair to say. I guess. Yeah. Um, and songwriter. You play with April, Alison Russell, uh, Roshino, Glasshouse, Pauline Scanlon, Patricia Lawler, Fia Moon, Alvaretti, the list I'm sure I've missed about <laughs> 400 more artists in there. Um, but it's great to have you in and we're going to be kind of mainly focusing on your work and in those acts and like kind of all the different 
all the different aspects of that world, the world of like a touring musician, I suppose. Um, not to be reductive by any means, but, you know, you do. That is kind of, I suppose, probably where you would see most of your work coming through. Oh, completely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where did it all start? I know you obviously got that education background in, I suppose, like with the, you know, in the Berkeley, on the Berkeley side with jazz and mm-hmm. all that phenomenally theoretical, wonderful, wonderful stuff. Um, and then you're kind of, you're gigging around and, you know, in my light research that I've done, it's, I just love to know where it kind of all began because it's like one bit that was just jumping out to me as as I couldn't find. So I'd love to know. Yeah. Um, I guess it was kind of by accident. I mean, I think a lot of people who do this job kind of, I don't know if it's purely by accident, but you kind of get asked by one person to do something and then it, you know, it kind of snowballs and next thing, you know, you're in 10 different bands <laughs> and overwhelmed and, <laughs> yeah. um, but yeah, I, d- I don't know that there was ever like a very clear decision to, to do what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess I am a session musician, but it was never, that's kind of a, yeah, a title, I guess that's, you know, I, I didn't give it to myself and yeah. then I've kind of ended up in this position. Not that I don't love the job that I do, but, you know, it's not, I don't think there was any point at which I like made the decision to be a session musician, you know? Yeah. So it wasn't, it was never like, what was the kind of direction then? Because I know, like obviously pursuing those, you know, further education, music roots, mm-hmm. I, I there's, there's probably some idea in your head as to where to go or was it just I just love this so much this is like all I see myself doing because sometimes I find that that's what a lot of you know artists maybe have Mm. fallen into it's a case of like I don't see myself doing anything else you know Mm. I can't see myself studying accountancy or studying Mm. law or stuff like that now obviously that's not mutually exclusive but um was that was there any impetus behind going for it or was it just a case of I love this so much that this is the blinkers are on I guess mm. I don't think it's even that deep for me I think it was <laughs> I'm not very good at anything else um I mean going to New Park was kind of actually my mum made me go because she was like well you can't do nothing um so yeah because I, I actually came kind of late to like I started playing guitar when I was like 15 or 16 um, so by the time I was making the decision to go to college, I wasn't actually entirely sure and my level of playing wasn't, you know, exceptional or anything at that point. Sure. Um, so I had kind of a slow, you know, I was kind of a late bloomer in, in that sense. Um, but yeah, now I've forgotten the question that you've asked me. <laughs> <laughs> it was just more so like, again, going from like that, you picked up the guitar at 15. I, I find myself in kind of a similar situation because... I was 16, I think, when I started to play drums and that was like my first foray into the music industry. And mm-hmm. now like it's like it's funny because like you blink and like definitely here and that's like that's where you started. Mm. And that's where it kind of started, especially with your like playing mm. um, instruments. It's like you blink and all of a sudden you're you, you're working in the studio full time yeah, or you're touring sure. full time yeah. or yeah. you're doing this, that or the other. Um, yeah, so it's it, it's an interesting uh, I think common ground 
that yeah. that we have there. That's that's pretty pretty interesting. But also, um, was that di- was that difficult then to kind of go to the the kind of New Park School of uh, uh, how it's all kind of taught in there? Or like, was there an expectation? I guess going in there from your side, but also from their side. Mm, yeah, I mean, it was tough. New Park. I was completely out of my depth when I started. I was definitely like my theoretical knowledge and that kind of stuff was much lower than I would say most people on the course. Um, and it was quite, it was quite an intense course. Um, I think I learned a lot of the technical thing. Like, like I can see now looking back what I learned, but at the time uh, I found it quite stressful and I was pretty lonely there was only like 11 people in our in our group and only four of us graduated from Berkeley track so okay <laughs> it was quite a high dropout rate um um so yeah by the by the time I I got to BIM I was just I think I chose to go to BIM just kind of a social uh, aspect of, mm. of things um you know I got some stuff from BIM but on the you know technical side of my playing or theoretical stuff that was all new park sure. um but as far as i didn't really have i'm sure that people had expectations of me mm. um and when i was in new park i think i was a bit too young to to know what i was doing so i was kind of just following other people's expectations or what i should be playing or so I wasn't, you know, I wasn't gigging at all when I was in New Park because I had this kind of mentality of, you know, you're not good enough and you have to be perfect to, not perfect, but you have to play at a very high level to yeah. to perform. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of, that was, you know, even said to us on several occasions. I like, was, ju- I was oh, actually going to yeah, ask. Yeah, we yeah. had like a masterclass from Dave David Liebman one time, the saxophonist, and he, um, he, yeah, basically said like, you know, practice in your shed for six hours a day for 10 years and then and then you can go perform, you know. Um, so it took me a while to, rem- you know, turn that around in my head yeah. and realise that uh, I don't think that's actually true. So unlocking that, like, way of thinking, mm-hmm. did that come before BIM or, or was BIM kind of uh, a conduit for that? Um. I mean, I <laughs> I went to BIM uh, technically. Um, I wasn't super present, um, and I had started to gig at that at that stage. Um, but yeah, I I think it was after BIM that I figured stuff out to some degree. Yeah. I'm still figuring it out, but um, yeah, I think that's the same with a lot of people or a lot of people who you know go to college, where at the time they can't. Um, they're not sure what they're doing and, and then, you know. Just kind of presents itself Looking to back, you. you're like, oh, that's why I did that or that's it's useful that I did that and I got this from that. But yeah, it's hard to tell until you're past it and you look back. Mm. And you're kind of 110% in this situation. Yes, yeah, you know yeah. I mean? like I said, There's no bl- getting out of it now. No, 100%. <laughs> it's like, like I said, it's like you blink and all of a sudden you're on tour. You know what yes, I mean? And you're yeah. doing like all of these... It, these international tours, Alison Russell just back off tour with Hosier. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Alvaretti is doing a European stint at the moment. 
um, all of those artists I mentioned before, like April doing lots of bits in the UK and mm-hmm. um, like where did, what was the first gig that led to more? Like, cause mm. it's, it seems to be a bit of a domino effect from speaking to the, you know, the tour musicians that I know it's a case of, well, I got this gig and then that TM, TM being tour manager mm. was looking to do another band or an MD was looking to like do another band and they, I toured with them before and then it's mm. kind of just like that word of mouth type mm-hmm. of thing almost or um, on reputation based in that respect. But what was the first one and then what, where did it go from there? Yeah, I mean, there was lots of smaller things that I did leading up. You know, yeah, it's hard to pinpoint the the first one, but um, April was the first artist that I worked with that, um, you know, like we toured and we did we did some European tours, we did some UK tours. So that was the first artist that kind of opened that world up for me. Um, and yeah, it was an interesting one because, I mean, we were so young and like figuring it out as we went and um yeah it's, it was that stage of because now most of the time when I start working with artists they already have a manager or you know a label or whatever but it's a bigger it's a bigger, it's a bigger kind of system yeah. already yeah but with April we had started playing these tiny tiny shows um and then management came on and then she got signed and so it was like you know there from you know day dot and um so yeah I think probably that was the first the first gig that opened up all those doors for me and what was the one then that followed on from that where it was a case of oh you know this is it's getting bigger now you know it's not just yeah it's Um, not just this one thing that I'm doing with this one artist it's like oh I can I'm I'm now I suppose, sought after to a degree or was yeah. was it something you sought out or how did it work from there? Yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a complicated one uh, from, from then on because then I, I started working with um, some, you know, some other artists and I worked with a particular artist um, who it ended not so, so well and there was uh, backlash from, from that um but actually a lot of opportunities came from that as well because okay. people um reached out and were like hey you know do you need do you need some help do you need some gigs um people like Joe Furlong Theo yeah um Callagher. I mean uh, <laughs> if I start naming names I can't stop so yeah, yeah. um but just so many people um helped me so i would say like other other musicians and friends um, as much as artists, you know, as much as you see, what you see is, you know, the individual working with. With, <clears throat> with the name. Yeah. With the name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's actually the other people. Um, it's the other musicians. It's people who put your name on the hat for things. Um, so, yeah, it was really people supporting me, like people in the background um, that kind of pushed my career forward.
as we as I said to you off mic, it's like great that I'm kind of speaking to a lot more people who are playing with acts, you know, because that's the whole point of this podcast. The point of the podcast isn't the artist, it's the people around it, because like, you know, there's a massive importance there, especially in my eyes as someone who like works in the studio. I kind of know, I, I can see all a lot of moving parts from where my world begins. So to hear that it's a case of, you know, people who aren't the artists sticking up for people who aren't the artists and like everyone's kind of helping each other out. And it's a bit of a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a circular economy almost in that regard mm. where it's like, you know, um, well, I worked with this person before and this is, you know, um, like I said, it's kind of great in that regard. Um, but I want to um, just on the back of that, like kind of not great experience that you had. Mm. I don't want to kind of drill into that too mm. much because you know, I would like to kind of m- more so focus on the good. Um, you recently got on off tour with Alison Russell, as I mm-hmm. mentioned a couple yeah. of times already. Um, you quoted, I feel inspired and energised that I've been shown a blueprint for what working in this industry can look like. Mm-hmm. I want to go into that because I loved that quote. I thought that was, mm-hmm. like, it, that really sums up a lot. And I think it makes sense in the context of what you just mentioned, having, like I said, like I said a not so great experience, mm-hmm. shall we say. Um you know, and like then w- within that it, within that Instagram post that I took that quote from, mm-hmm. it's like there are there's like such lovely, overwhelmingly positive comments about the tour personnel. Mm-hmm. Um, can you go into a bit more detail as to why that was like the pinnacle for you? Like, what mm. was the thing? The, the thing or the things that made that stand out to you as yeah this is what it's all about I think when you see someone at, who's at that level who could afford to be a bit more of a dickhead um, <laughs> but is just like so kind and really notices everyone has so much time for anyone sound engineer tour manager you know artist liaison whoever um and it's not necessarily that like all all the artists I, I don't work with people who are not nice. Of but course. Yeah, yeah. um to see the level of um generosity um that Alison and her band and her crew had was just I just hadn't experienced that level of it before. Mm. Um just like completely open. Um and yeah, I mean there's a there's this danger when because the the band was all all female, yeah. um, which is something I sometimes have a little bit of a you know apprehension a chip on my shoulder about. Like it's uh, yeah because it, it it totally is it, it can be a gimmick if the the sole reason for for picking the band is because they're women. Um, if it's you know from an aesthetic point of view or if it's seen as cool or trendy, I take issue with that. Um, So I think it was one of the first times I have worked with an all, you know, female um, band several times. And some of those were great, but some of them were definitely um, engineered by men, you know, it was men going, hey, that looks cool. Yeah. You know, Um, so... It was a really nice feeling to be in a group of 
just so so talented in their own right you know each each player um and the way Alison picks people to to be in her band is um she actually kind of doesn't like the session musician label for people in her band yeah she wants people to have their own you know because th- there are lots of gigs where I have to nail specific parts and and the songs go certain ways and that's great it's I mean it's great to wear many hats and it's great to have that experience but with Alison it was much more what can you bring like like she doesn't want the live performance to be the same every time yeah um she doesn't want every player to play the same because not every player does play the same so having someone encourage you to kind of almost step out of your comfort zone and, and like suggest things or and she really took them on you know like sometimes artists say oh do you have any suggestions and they don't actually mean it yeah yeah yeah. um and so for the first while actually working with Alison I kind of defaulted to oh she doesn't actually want to know what I think you know so in reality was in reality she she really did yeah so that was all yeah it just kind of turned my world upside down a little bit um, in a good way yeah, I, I was I, like, oh, <laughs> I, yeah. I like the um, I like the use of the word like blueprint. I think that to me it was like very, um, a very informative statement. And it was a case of like, you know, this is, it, it, like I said before, it's like this is how it should be for me, or mm. you know. And I, 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 I've had those situations myself where I'm like, yeah, no, this is. Like it just feels really right, you mm. know. Is that something like the the way that that tour was uh, in terms of like performances and you know uh, again rehearsals, all of that stuff? Mm-hmm. Is that something you're gonna take on with you and try and employ going forward in terms of like that thing of you know, Alison was looking for suggestions and mm. kind of opened it out to everyone to bring something mm-hmm. to the table. You know, I don't imagine it's the same for each kind of room you step into. Yeah, no, and, and, and of, it, you know, it's not appropriate sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, and unless you're asked. And, you know, as a session musician, you are working for the artist. And so, you know, their, their say is the final say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think moving forward, even just who I choose to work with from, from now on. And I mean, I'm in a very privileged position that now... I kind of I have enough gigs that I am turning down gigs. Yes. Um, yes. Well, that's great to hear. First which and is, foremost. yeah. I mean, it's it's great from a financial point of view, um, but it's also great for from a creative kind of point of view because I really struggle to gauge where the line is with um, music as art and something sacred that fulfills me, and music as. Um, a career or something that pays my rent. Sure. Um, it is very, it's a very grey line. It's, it's a very grey line. It's super grey. I actually have this quote that my friend um, G actually got off one of her friends um, when she said, a great way to complicate your relationship with your art is to rely on it to make money. <laughs> I, I think like, that's yeah. like the perfect sentence yeah. really for it, it's, isn't it? It's, um, God, it's difficult. It, yeah, it, it is tough. I'm sure you've experienced the situation that I have in the sense of like I'll be so I'm you know it's my second year working in the studio full time and mm. um, being able to produce mix and like do those things uh, kind of 
by themselves I don't have to have a job to supplement and that's mm-hmm. like yeah. again an incredibly privileged position I'm fully aware of that but you, it's funny that you still find yourself being like oh fuck do you know what I mean <laughs> I have to do this I have to and yeah, then, yeah, but yeah. like you catch yourself and it's just like what am I what am I doing do you know what I mean yeah. it's like it, it, it's those things like that tour like the you know being with April kind of from day one mm. and seeing that bloom and develop and being on those like big stages and just having a fucking good time mm-hmm. um, and again having those situations where you can kind of put your two cents in and be heard and be listened yeah. to and like feel really kind of accomplished in that regard mm-hmm. um, that kind of make you realise you know I kind of I, I need to just check every now and again I need to just make sure that like I'm not taking it for granted yeah, and it certainly sounds like you're not. So um, it's great to hear that. First of all, there's so much happening for you because clearly, if you're doing all of this stuff, it's you know a great time for you and your work. Um, but I want to drill down into something that you said there because mm-hmm. you said that you know, art, like it's you know, obviously music is art, and you know the way it fulfills you as in that regard mm-hmm. creatively. Have you ever considered the artist route? Is that something that like had ever dawned on you at all or had presented itself as an opportunity? Um, I mean, sometimes, but uh, yeah, I, I don't think the two have to be mutually exclusive. But yeah, I mean, it, it, it goes straight back to the complicated relationship with, with music because um, I almost that I try and separate music that I do for myself um, and then music that I make money off. And I think that's something that, I mean, I'm sure every artist struggles with when they get to the point where they're making money off their music. Um, but yeah, maybe down the line, but um, right now I'm still kind of figuring out that what relationship I have to my own music or, or being, you know, an artist in my own right. Yeah, I I find it like a very challenging aspect myself, especially like being in this situation, you know what I mean, mm. where I'm like writing music with other people and I'm like making those sounds and like sound designing and mixing. I'm like doing all of that kind of creation mm. stuff. Um, and I know you've been involved with songwriting as well. I, I, I want to get into that too um, at some point, but it's, it is challenging to kind of like my background originally is like I, I came from a band and we worked in a studio and then that was it for me. I was just like, mm-hmm. this is this is where I need to be. Um, and it's hard to like let go of that sometimes where sometimes I pine for the thing that I had before where I was performing and I was mm. doing, I was making stuff for a specific thing as like as part of an act, as part of an artist group. So I find that that can be sometimes a difficult challenge to try and like, you know, I, I've obviously I've learned over time to, you know, just like park that, you know, and at the outset it was it was difficult enough because I'm like, I'm not making music for me and that's fine. Um, is that the same kind of situation for you when you step into like a studio setting? I know that um, you've written with April. Mm-hmm. You've written a couple of songs with April, I think, right? Yeah, I mean, only one is released, but yeah. yeah. 
it's the oh my god the name of it I should have uh, watching you disappear watching you disappear it's my favorite April song oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's an incredible incredible song Good, lovely EP as well that that came it's, out yeah. um take me into the take me into the studio because that's my world and mm-hmm. I like, mm-hmm. fucking love that shit <laughs> yeah. so I I kind of want to know first of all how that happened and is that something that you kind of would you do that often? Would you be in studio writing sessions a lot or? I mean, sometimes I am definitely more of a live player. Okay. Um, I, it, I mean, it depends, but I, I think I prefer playing live. Okay. Um, yeah, there's a, there's kind of a rigidity that comes into my playing when I'm, uh, you know, like red light syndrome. Mm. Um, but yeah, uh, in the studio, it's um, it's again a, a different kind of difficult line to to balance, but uh, it's that you know uh, spontaneity and 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 something that has feeling versus something that's uh, track appropriate and completely you know on the grid and yada yada yada. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I do enjoy being in the studio. Um, but I definitely enjoy you prefer yeah. more. Yeah. Is there like, is it just that thing where it's like you don't necessarily have full, um, I suppose a hall pass for complete expression in the studio scenario or what is it that like is the, is the thing that balances the scales on the live side more? I just find it's a bit more exciting. You know, there's that kind of adrenaline sure. rush, which sometimes does come with recording. I mean, there have been occasions where I've, you know, recorded something, a great take or something, or or someone sings an absolute belter of a of a chorus or whatever, and you're like, wow. Yeah. I will concede that it does probably happen a lot less in the studio. <laughs> yeah, than right. It I think live. there's there's just a I think the bravery of of performing because it's performing is such a weird thing you know it's like um <laughs> look at all these people and now I'm going to try and do something and hopefully it's going to work you know <laughs> and if and if I get it wrong it's the consequences are awful and yeah. you know it's humiliating and embarrassment but the, the reward is that it's this kind of feeling of ecstasy when you you know play something that you're proud of whereas in the studio sure but like, if you mess up, you just do another take. I know, you, just do you know, again. like, so the, the, like, there's it, there's so much less at stake. There's so much less at stake, which means you risk so much less, yeah. and then you don't go for things that I, I don't know. That yeah, there's there's no. A, I know I know what you're getting at. It's the case that like the because there's like like the, the jeopardy is far higher. Do you know hmm. what I mean? And the risk is far higher. And like what I admire most about like touring musicians, people who play live, particularly people who like play in front of a crowd, artists, be that like people in a band for an artist, be it like, you know, doesn't matter who it is, an orchestra, whatever. Like the admiration I have for that because it is a case of like, you really are just like, you're on display and everyone, it's all eyes on you. Like it really is Mm. all eyes on you. So like I've such admiration for people who can do that because I just feel like i you know, even when I was playing, I remember like I did. I don't think I had as much confidence as I needed to have mm. to be really good. You know what I mean? Um, I don't think I was bad, 
but I also don't think that like I'm sure you weren't. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Like I I don't think I was bad, but I don't think like I certainly wasn't on that level. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Um, do you find when you are out there and you are you know you do you get that like rush and like I imagine those big stages that have been kind of on your tour card recently mm. um, with Alison and now kind of with Alva and even with April to a certain degree because you're out there playing those songs for the first time mm-hmm. really live um, you know and that was a recent thing actually as well I think it's probably worth saying that like mm-hmm. April's first European tour was I think what a year two years ago it was actually I don't know, maybe 2019 now. 2019, the, wow, okay. It okay. was pre-pandemic, so, um, but yeah, for sure. It's, I know, time kind of creeps up. It feels like it was only a year or two like ago. The, yeah, but, because uh, like, I mean, we're sitting on our asses for two years, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. so, yeah, probably like four years ago, which is absolutely insane. That's wild, yeah. Um, Forgive my misinformation. Oh, there. no, I, you know, it's, I feel like, these last two years the whole time has been oh yeah that thing we did like last week and everyone's like no that was four or five years ago <laughs> like, oh perfect yeah great love that for us yeah. <laughs> um, what, what I kind of wanted to get at was like that that kind of jolt Is do you find that hard to come down from do you find that hard to like get off stage and then be like okay well time to go to bed now same thing again tomorrow oh yeah for, sometimes for sure yeah I definitely get um, post gig blues um yeah it's such a weird feeling to to have that electric energy on stage you kind of can't really do anything with it no and then you get off and it's like okay see ya (laughs) um yeah I even find you know sometimes when you play a gig and there's like a packed out audience um and you play a gig and everyone claps and you leave and you go to the green room or whatever wherever you go and then you come back to pack up your gear and there's no one in the room I find that very strange. See, I've been in that situation as well. And I'm usually like the last to leave because I'm like yeah. the drummer and the drummers have to yeah, pack up all the stuff. So like only now that you mention that, it's like a really... It's a real silence. Like it's a it's a really weird... Yeah. You can almost still feel the hum of of the people that were there. But it's like, yeah, it's super silent. Really eerie. Mm. Like... And then they start like turning the lights off or on. That's actually more jarring. Is when they start turning them on, you're like, oh. <laughs> so that's what the room looks like. Yeah. Yeah, that's like the one thing I would imagine is like super tough because like I feel like I'm kind of I, I would be quite an emotional person in that regard, especially when it comes to like music and live settings and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. you do get really swept up in it. Mm. So to try and like marry that with being able to just leave and let it let it mm. go you know um like what i i really liked recently we had um queen bar on mm-hmm. on no encore and she was talking about how she kind of like doesn't really find it difficult to just like afterwards just be like yeah all right <laughs> you know um, i was like wow yeah, like that it, sounds like her you know just like she's like yeah it's cool you know yeah you know it's we do the we play the gig and then yeah you know we don't think about it whether it was good or bad mm. we just move on to the next one and like that's a that's a mindset that i would think i would personally find very difficult to yeah grasp. i mean Kui has her feet planted very firmly on the ground mm. um and it's great it's she's a 
she was, you know, I mean, this was my first time really, I mean, this tour, I knew Quiva, but not, you know, we weren't friends or close by, by any means, but she was, yeah, by the end of the tour, we, I mean, she's just great to have on a tour. She's so, she, real she says buyer. it as it is, yeah. Oh, yeah. you know, yeah, um, yeah. calls a spade a spade, yeah. um, which, you know, I love. Yeah. I love people like that. Um, Did it help in regards to managing that kind of the ups and downs of what goes on every day on the tour and like obviously there's like a million and one people mm. involved. I say a million and one is probably like <laughs> maybe like 10 ish like involved in that in a tour like that, you know, in yeah, terms of like who you would be yeah. in close proximity yeah. with all the time. Um, did you find it was helpful having someone like that around to like ground yourself with I guess or oh, absolutely do you find it easy to do yourself um I'm I'm okay on tour I'm I can kind of as long as I kind of get a few minutes to myself every day go for a walk go for a run sure um but it, it definitely did help uh in this I mean I mean I've I've toured with like American an American crew before but never like I've never been playing with the band sure um, so it was especially like in the first week it was really great to have Quiva to bounce off even just from a like a cultural point of view like you just you know how to interact with each other you you know how to speak to each other you kind of almost feel like you know each other already for sure yeah um, so when we were all getting to know each other it was it was comforting um, to have her there because there was like you know a bit of anxiety before the tour of like I don't know. These oh shit! People. I haven't a clue who any of these yeah. people are. Yeah, exactly. Well, not that I don't know who any of them are. I'm yeah, sure I mean, and they were. turned out to be these wonderful, amazing, kind, funny, you know, people. But you just you never know. They could yeah. have been awful. Yeah, yeah. like it's like that, that's another kind of part of the jeopardy where I'm like, you know, my god, I just, just my nerves would be rattled, like completely rattled yeah. going to something like that. So again, like the respect I have for for people who kind of do it day in day out is amazing but it's also great to hear that like you said before you know you're in a position where you can be selective about these things so mm. you're kind of tailoring your experience to your own tastes in terms of like personalities and you know you need to be doing things like that especially when you know you're sleeping on top of these people on turbos mm. for however long you know kind of a bit of a left turn and I tried to avoid these mad left turns yeah. in podcast because I like to kind of move from bit to bit but um, I saw recently that you're, you, you've you been funded by the Arts Council to do a project um, called Island Daughter oh yeah I'd like to hear more about that because that to me is uh, is a very very interesting topic for like I, I don't want to explain it too much I'd like to mm-hmm. kind of hear it from you Um 
I only kind of know it really what it is on face value. So can you take me into where you're at with it and like what it is first and foremost? Yeah. Um, so it's a, it was a project I kind of had been thinking about for a couple of years, um, but it wasn't, I wasn't definite in how I wanted to do it or in what medium or how I wanted to present it. Um, but uh, it's, you know, my mum is from Okinawa, which is a small island um, and, you know, a colonised island. Um, and there's just like a lot of similarities with Ireland. Um, and I felt these kind of growing up, especially in a small town, these like disparate um, parts of myself where you're kind of not sure where you belong or, you know, you're not... Um, not Irish enough and then when I go there I'm like I'm a white person yeah. um, so it was kind of growing up I just that sense of identity I guess trying to figure that out um, so I've always I've kind of wanted to do this for a long time of like just explore go deeper into music and, and the culture and whatever so and the similarities between, right? Yeah, the similar and the differences, and and just seeing how they how they line up. Um, so yeah, last summer I went to Okinawa and I um, recorded a load of people, mostly in their eighties, um, singing, telling stories, um, and I collected some sounds as well, um, like the sea and cicadas and whatever um and I'm still working on the the Irish side of it so I'm I'm doing the same thing here um and then I'm going to make an hour long I mean I've started on the Okinawan side but an hour long kind of soundscape type thing cool very interesting yeah but it's definitely still a a work in a progress, work in progress. <laughs> yeah uh, I just yeah. thought that like the you know first and foremost like I saw I read about that and um, I saw you wrote um, just a little blurb about the anniversary of the Battle of Okinawa mm-hmm. and that was an education for me because I didn't actually realise that it was colonised and it's like because mm-hmm. now it's a prefecture um, and that was like a, an education for me so mm-hmm. then you know getting to see like those clips that you did where you were recording the people around the table mm-hmm. I thought yeah, that was yeah, yeah. I thought that was really cool that they were like kind of chanting and like there was mm. a lot of percussive elements and stuff mm-hmm. there it was really really cool um so to hear that like there is potentially some you know common ground mm. even if it is just in that you know uh you know a colonized people i guess mm. um commonality between okinawa and ireland i feel like that in itself is like massively, massively interesting to me, and will be in it. Will make for an interesting piece of art. Mm, um, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, no, I certainly do think so. Um, but one of my questions was: Are we are we going to hear it? Like, are we gonna you yeah, know hear I something? I mean, it, it was supposed to be done by now, but various uh, things listen, have have gotten in the way. And, you know, always yeah, moved when yeah. It comes to music, um, so. But yeah, I no, it will it will be finished, but it it. I mean, another few months at least, if not another year, I think, to yeah. uh, to get the whole thing done. Because yeah. uh, I haven't even finished collecting 
you know, the sounds yet. So even just like collating all, all of that information, all of those sound bites. A lot of files, like, yeah. A lot of files, a lot of naming files, <laughs> just like birds one, birds two, birds three, you yeah, know, it's yeah. like... Um, and then trying to go back and remember what any of those things are is, is a bit of a headache, but... Um, yeah, it'll it'll get done hopefully at some stage. What's been your biggest finding? Be it like about Okinawan culture, Irish culture in terms of music, or about like yourself, kind of mm. as as to where it all fits for you. Like, what's been your biggest finding on that journey? Mm. Um, so far, I guess. Yeah. I think the similarity between um, the people, uh, Okinawan people and Irish people, it's like it was, I mean, I've always kind of known to some degree, but it, it was it was so similar the way they talk about things, the way they talk about war or the way they talk about, you know, loss and how they deal with that. Like even you were talking about that video of the people singing around the table. Sure very reminiscent of Shanos, you know. Yeah, um, very much so, yeah. And there was a lot of things like that where it was, it would, you know, lots of things were clicking together in my brain of like, oh, these are really similar things. And it's kind of, it's it's crazy that they're on such opposite sides of the world, but they've got all of these similarities, you know. Um, but yeah, I don't know, I guess... He, when you get into it, it's like what uh, what they both had in common was like this humanity, this like, um, I mean, the same could be said of anyone anywhere in the world. But um, I think I had a lot of fear of like talking to Okinawan people because I've had this like apprehension of like, I don't really know enough or I, you know, I'm not Okinawan enough to like um I don't know you know all these kind of hang-ups that I had that were completely my own shit um but yeah from talking to them realizing that you you know I related to a lot of the things they were saying and I you know there are things that I thought were uh, things about me that I thought were very Irish were actually maybe fucking out you know or just kind of um, yeah woke up a lot of things that I preconceptions I had about myself and about the two cultures you know yeah that's like I think it's a a, a project of, of massive merit I'm very excited to see what happens with it so mm. I'll be keeping an eye on that <laughs> um, I suppose to like wrap up um, I just want to know like what is there anything else? Like, is there anything you haven't explored? Is there anything that is like on the list now as to being like, you know, that's what I want? Or are you just like quite content where you're at and just, I'm going to just keep doing what I'm doing and see what happens? Uh, yeah, I I mean, I, I think I'd like to do a bit more more writing maybe. Um, Was that yourself or with people or does it matter? Both, both. Um I love being a session musician, but I think there's, you know, finding that balance of um, 
you know, I'm still working on the saying no to people thing and taking too much on and being overwhelmed. Yeah. Um, but, uh, seems to be a bit of a common to, thing for yeah, like, I think know, lot, people it, who play. It's like, difficult. There's not enough, people. uh, people here. I mean, yeah, if, the, <laughs> if there's any women who play guitar and bass and sing backing vocals, please call me because <laughs> I need depths. Um, but yeah, something like where I have a bit more creative input would maybe, if I was to say one thing that I want to do a bit more, um, it would be that. Um, I'm hopefully going to be recording um, an album with Pauline Scanlon, who's a wonderful trad singer. And, Amazing. Um, so I'm looking forward to that because I'll have, it'll be the two of us kind of working together. Collaborating to, together, yeah. yeah. Um, and she's she's a legend. Yeah. She's an absolute legend. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. But more more of that kind of stuff and, yeah, more stuff I am really passionate about um, musically would be great. But, yeah, working on it. Yeah, I think that's a nice place to yeah. jump off. Because right, so that's, that's what we're all at, really, isn't it? Yeah. We're just kind of working at it until we figure it all out. Um, Quiva, thanks for joining me. I really, really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks so much for having me. Not at all, not at all. Thank you. Thanks so much to Quiva for coming on. She spent... You know, like I said, it was a Friday morning, a morning where she wasn't touring. Um, I think I caught her in between schedules, so that was uh, it was very, very kind of her to give up her time. But if you would like to see her, you can see her, like I said, gigging with Alison Russell for the uh, United States, Canada and Mexico legs of the tour as of January. Um, she'll be in that band full time with Alison Russell. Um, she says they'll be joining Hosier for the summer dates over over there too, which is very, very cool. They're doing a quick stop over in Dublin for Tradfest, where Ali is doing a show in St. Patrick's Cathedral on the 26th of January coming. So get your tickets for that. And Quiva will also be doing a separate show called Transatlantic Women in the National Stadium on the 27th of January. Um, I highly recommend getting to that last one because I think the National Stadium is a fantastic... uh fantastic venue but also the gig itself is going to be absolutely brilliant um, I have no doubt in my mind make sure you get your tickets for that and support Quiva and everyone else at that gig uh, like I said you can find Quiva on Instagram it's at Quiva Kiwi C-A-O-I-M-H-E-K-I-W-I make sure to check her out there keep up to date with all of her work um, but yeah thanks once again to Quiva for coming in I hope you enjoyed that chat as much as I did sitting down it was so refreshing to um, to really get into it especially with someone who I didn't know um, you know it was very very kind of Quiva to be so upfront and honest about everything and just you know just chat about what it is to you know be someone who works in the industry as well it's kind of like nice to have that relatability no matter where you're kind of standing um, where you're kind of standing on what, what kind of platform it is whether it me being a producer her being a, a session tour musician or, you know, someone being a mix engineer or whatever. I think there is that kind of kindred spirit um, that that is there between all of us um, industry workers. So, yeah, really, really great chat. I, I felt very 
Um, I felt very invigorated after it. It was very, very cool. Um, and thank you, listener, as well, for tuning back into Before the Encore. It's like the, the reason, the fact that you're listening to these episodes is the reason that I'm making them. So um, thank you very, very much. Um, and to new listeners of the show, please make sure to hit subscribe. Um, this Before the Encore ep- uh, podcast will appear monthly in your feed on the last Monday of every month. And you can make sure to check out the No Encore show as well, which uh, drops in your feeds every Friday. It's um, myself and Dave Hanready and a guest. Um, Dave running the show, me sitting making light jabs and uh, snarky comments, I suppose. And a guest every week who brings in their own top five list to get into. And that's always a lot of fun. Um, a lot of niche topics in there. We have a feed full of them. There's nearly 400 episodes that you can go back uh, go back through. Um, now the top five only started a couple of years ago, but still lots of topics to get into. So don't let that put you off. Anyway, uh, until next month, I'll be back with another Before the Encore um, at the end of December, just to grace your ears before um, before 2023 passes us by and 2024 is uh, is very much a present thought so I'll be back then thanks so much for listening I've been Sonic Architect Adam Shanahan this has been Before the Encore and there will be an Encore at the end of December thanks very much Thank you.